Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Good morning, everyone. I think it's really cool that as a church that we are absolutely going to smash our goal for community engagement this year. As it stands, because of yesterday, we are now at 630 hours. And um, there are four of us that I know of that are going to be heading down in about a month, a month and a bit's time, um, to be part of Red Frog's Leavers. And so each of us are going to clock up by ourselves about 120 hours, just, you know, casually. Um, serving uh, the people of our, uh, the youth of our state. And so that's, you know, if you can do your sums, four of us, 120, that's 480 plus 620, 630. We'll get there. <laughs> so, yeah, we are absolutely going to hit our target this year. And also, really excitingly, I think we're going to get close to nearly doubling what we did last year. So that's really awesome that as a church that we are not just, you know, just going, hey, let's get together, pat each other on the back and say, good job but you know we're actually doing something in our community and so so proud of all of you guys that came out yesterday gave your time uh, because it is a significant event for us to be able to get into our community love people uh, uh, you know just let them know that the church isn't dead that we're still here and we still do good work but anyway today we start a brand new series called right on the money and as the title suggests, we are going to be talking about money over the next three, four weeks. We'll see how it goes. Um, we'll be talking all about managing finances. We're going to be talking about, it. really, the, the, the way that I'm thinking about it is helping people build good relationship with money. Because money is this massive part of our lives. If you have bad financial management, it's going to lead to stress. It's going to lead to anxiety. It's going to lead you to take jobs that you don't want to do. It's going to lead you uh, to make decisions that you don't want to make. And that is just what happens when, when you have uh, no money. And so what we want to do is to help you over the next few weeks. Next week is going to be super practical. It's going to be lots of fun. Uh, but today I'm going to go uh, right into the roots of what, why, we, why we want to talk about uh, managing finance as well. And I, in fact, today's message, there is going to be a little bit about finances, but really I want to talk to you about why should you live um, as a Christian? Literally, like, you know, there's this thought, right, that this whole Jesus thing is really cool because um, Jesus gives you salvation. So it's like, I don't want to go to hell. So I say yes to Jesus. Cool. Done. But then what about all the rest of that stuff? You know, the Bible could be a lot shorter. You know, the Bible could be, you know, the old school ones are about that thick, that big. You carry it around and you become a hunchback. You know, that, that's the old school Bible. And it's like, well, you could have just given us Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. Let's talk about Jesus loving us. All right, just, just boil the Bible down to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That's all we really need, isn't it? But what's the rest of the Bible for? Now, why does... Why do we have to do things? Why do we have to tithe? Why do we have to uh, love people? Why do we have to serve them even when they don't, they're not nice? You know, we, we do pop-up carnivals and there are 99% of them are amazing. And then one of them is like complaining about the dog that is going to walk about. It's like, really? We've, you have a free petting zoo and you're talking about a dog that is not on a leash. Why do I serve you? Why do I be nice? Why do I have to put up with some of you guys? 
why do you have to put up with your mother-in-law? Why do you... See, I say you, because my mother-in-law is great, Beg's mother-in-law is great. But some of you guys are in a difficult position, and I'm praying for you. See, good save. You know, we, why do we have to do all these things, all this stuff about the Bible? Why does God seem so restrictive? Why does He want to have a say about your money, your hard-earned money? Some of you are work, maybe working two jobs, three jobs just to make ends meet. Why does God want your money? What's this all about? And I want to really get into the heart of this. And one of the things that I love um, over the last few years, God's really opened up for me um, that the journey of the Israelites in the Old Testament is a picture of us as Christians, is a really great picture of what happens and what is happening and what God is doing in our lives. And um, uh, I started thinking about this as I was preparing because we watched Prince of Egypt last uh, Saturday night and, and, you know, deliverance and all those great songs, there can be miracles and all that great stuff. And I was drawn to the story once again and it just made me think back into the story of the Israelites. And I want to just help you see some of the parallels here. You see, what happened was that God called the Israelites. He, he called them His people, His, his, his family. And, and through that, they, they started to really prosper. In, in, in Genesis, we start to see that the family starts to grow and grow and grow. And they were in a land called Egypt. And they started to multiply so quickly that the Egyptians got really scared of them and started to put slavery over them. They started to make them all slaves. Um, and, and for 400 years, 400 years, the Israelites were put under slavery. So much so that not a single one of the Israelites understood what it meant to li live a free life. That's a very important detail. There wasn't a single Israelite that knew what it meant to live without slavery, except for one, who was Moses. And God raises this man who actually had half a life of freedom, to become the deliverer of Israel. And many of you know the story. If not, go, go watch Prince of Egypt. It's not completely like that. There was some weird stuff that happened in, 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 the, in the movie where there were like sorcerers and all that stuff. But anyway, uh, but, but you get the gist of it. And, and God sends Moses to go in into uh, Egypt once again and to say to the uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And along the way, as Moses was trying to bring freedom to the Israelites, God demonstrated His power through 12 plagues. 10 plagues. 10? 12. Oh my gosh. I think it's 10. 10, 10 plagues. And, and um, some people would say Pharaoh was really stubborn and all that kind of stuff. But it's really important to note that each of the 10 plagues corresponded with an Egyptian god. The Egyptian people were highly religious, highly superstitious, and they thought that they were gods of everything. God of the Nile, God of the sun, God of the this, God of the that. There was God of the harvest, God of the crops, God of all of these different aspects of their lives. And when you look at the plagues that came upon Egypt, each one of them was demonstrating that God was above. You see, when God was trying to bring freedom to the Israelites, He was also demonstrating to the Egyptians as well as to the Israelites that He was sovereign. He was above and more powerful than any of them. And, and so what happened was that after nine plagues, 
God spoke to Moses and said, this is the final one. This is it. This is what is going to happen. Because Pharaoh represented the highest God of the Egyptian culture. He was seen as the God above all gods. So uh, the, the big thing is that as much as all of that stuff was happening, Pharaoh was still reasonably untouched. And so he continued to think that he was still God. He was still powerful. He still had control over what was going on. And, and what happened was that, uh, many of you might know the story, God sends an angel to come through and kill all the firstborn people that was in the land. But he told the Israelites how to escape from this curse. And he told them that what they needed to do was to sacrifice a lamb, take the blood and paint it over the doorposts. And when God sent the angel, the angel would pass over all of the uh, doors that had this blood on it. I know it's a little bit morbid, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, but that happened and then um, uh, Pharaoh's son uh, was struck down. Now, something that you need to understand about the, the thought, the ancient world thought, is that firstborns, basically represented the whole family. A firstborn represented the family. And so what would happen in Jewish custom later in the law to redeem the firstborn child, which would also mean to redeem the rest of the family, a sacrifice was needed to be made on behalf of the firstborn child. And so when God struck down the firstborn child of Pharaoh, it wasn't just like suffer, it was your family has been dethroned. That is something that we need to realize that God was very strategic in what he was doing. He wasn't just fluffing around and saying, oh, I guess I want to do something pretty spectacular. No, no, he was basically dethroning every single one of the Egyptian gods, not just for the Egyptians, but for the Israelites to see for themselves. They were under the thumb of these Egyptians for 400 years, but yet there was a God who was able to save them. And so God brought the Egyptians, uh, sorry, the Israelites out of Egypt, and he told them that they needed to celebrate something called the Passover. The Passover is a yearly festival that still takes place to this day, a yearly feast that the Israelites celebrate. Why? Because they are supposed to remember God's salvation. And when we look at the story of Jesus or what he has done, Jesus is the firstborn, the Lamb of God, that was sacrificed so that the curse would no longer fall upon us. That we are now redeemed and sitting under the salvation, the sal salvific power of God, that, 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 that the curse no longer holds on us. I love one of the songs that we used to sing, that, that the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That is the kind of life that we have. And that's why the Old Testament is still important, because God is trying to show us in different ways, in different forms, of how He has always planned for your salvation, how He has always been getting ready for you to receive salvation. God has never left you alone. He has always been planning for your redemption. But the story doesn't stop there. Fifty days after the Passover, the Israelites got about halfway to the promised land, which is something else that is a parallel to our lives. God has a promised land for each and every single one of us. The Bible tells us that God has great and many promises that will be yes and amen in His name. That we have got all these amazing promises of God that are meant to be ours. And we are journeying from slavery into becoming a nation. 
into becoming, uh, into settling into the promises of God. That is the journey that we are on. We are leaving, we are leaving slavery. What is slavery for us? Slavery is sin. The Bible tells us that all of us are slaves to sin, that we don't know how to get ourselves right. We can't. There's, we, we tried. We tried doing many different things, but sin still has a hold on us, and the penalty of sin is death. That's what the Bible teaches about, about that and says, but thanks be to God because He has saved us. He has led us out of that. But notice that they didn't step out of Egypt into the promised land. They stepped out of Egypt onto a journey toward the promised land. And that's what we need to realize, that you're not there yet. Some of you just say, because I have been saved by grace, I've got everything. No, you haven't even begun to see anything. You're still standing on the doorway of Egypt and saying, I'm a free man. It's like, you are not going to be free for very long. You know, if the Israelites didn't cross the Red Sea, they would have been taken in, back into slavery again. And that is something that is the same for us today, that we can actually be stepping back into slavery if we don't journey towards the promised land. And halfway towards the promised land, they landed at this mountain called Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, um, uh, Moses and, and, um, uh, went up to the mountain and he received the Ten Commandments. And as, as not, not, not just the ten, the ten Commandments, but the rest of the law was given to Moses in that moment. This is really, really important. Because what we need to realize is that God has set us free and then God wants to set us up. When you have a nation of slaves that don't know what freedom looks like and you try to get them to exist as a nation, do you know what kind of chaos is going to take place? And I, I heard this really sad story a while ago about uh, what is happening in China. In China, they have these orphanages and they are scattered across the nation. And quite a lot of them are close to the country areas. So they're not in the metropolitan area. And it gets really cold. It gets really harsh. And uh, they don't have a lot of resources. And it tends to be that these institutions are overflowing with kids. And so these carers, they try to come around to every single kid, but they can't. And so only some kids get more care and some kids don't even get enough care. And they are left in their cot all day until their heads actually are flat at the back. Some of these children are left in this condition for years until someone adopts them into family. And the story goes that um, when some of these kids are adopted into family, they're not like normal children. They don't understand how to have fun. They don't understand how to trust. They don't understand how to feed themselves. They don't understand how to eat flavorful food that we enjoy. They don't understand how to go to the toilet. They don't understand what is clean and what is not. They don't understand why, because they've never been shown. And when you step out of the slavery of sin, as much as God has already set you free, you still have been existing for all of your life under that slavery. All of us have these tendencies and these things that are still clinging on to us, myself included. And what God is wanting to do is not just say, you are free, so go do your own life. He said, you are free, now let me show you how to live. 
And that's what the law was given for the Israelites to understand that God was not just setting them free, but He was setting them up. And many of us don't achieve the full life, the full promises of God because we are living at Egypt's doorstep instead of journeying on towards Mount Sinai. Many of us are stopped, uh, have stopped ourselves in a place where God's grace is enough for me and is amazing and is great, but God's grace to you has only been about an event rather than a lifestyle. When Jesus came, one of the verses that we love at Lived is that we say, uh, we, we quote this all the time, Jesus said that He's come that we might have real and eternal life, more and better life. He said that we have this available, but He doesn't say you immediately get it because some of us are not accepting that there's something that needs to happen in between our salvation and our possession of God's promises. Some of you are living in great depression, great fear, great anxiety, a great worry over your lives. Why? Because you're still standing at Egypt's doorstep and saying, God's already set me free. So maybe this is what freedom feels like. Maybe this level of life is all that God has for me. But maybe Pastor Nate is more because Pastor Nate is more holy. And I don't know it's true. <laughs> it's really not true. I'm no different from you guys. But one thing that God has been doing in my life and that I'm trying to respond to, here it is, I'm trying to respond to, is that God is taking me from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And then from Mount Sinai, He showed me how to outwork those things so I get to step into the promised land. That is a journey that all of us are on. So when we talk about why God is saying to do this, God's saying to do that, is because God has taken you from a place of slavery to a place where He's setting you up for the future. And some of you are looking at the things of God and you're going, I don't need that. You know, the Bible has got a lot to say about that. And I want to show you in a few different areas of the Bible why this is so important. The first thing that was opened up to me just a few weeks ago uh, is, is that I didn't really understand wisdom. Wisdom is something that we all know is so important for our lives. We all want to be wise. When it comes to our finances, I want to be wise about my finances. And I want to read to you Proverbs 4, 5 to 9, and it says this, Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Oh, I love this verse. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. <laughs> Though it costs you all that you have, get understanding. Cherish her. She will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Wisdom will protect you, watch over you, bring you honor, bring you blessing. All of us want it. So how do we get it? Get it. It's, it's like God was saying, wisdom is like a box of chocolates. You just go to the shop and buy it. It's like, oh, well, I, I went to Coles and they don't have boxes of wisdom for me. It's got boxes of really delicious stuff that's going to cost me in the future. So wh what, is, what, is what is wisdom? I think the problem for many of us reading these verses is that we come with an English Western mindset of what wisdom is. And we think that wisdom is simply common sense. We think that wisdom is simply more knowledge. We think that wisdom is just more experience. But wisdom is not any of those things according to a Jewish mindset. I learned this a few weeks ago. I've been reading this um, 
devotional written by a, uh, uh, by a Jewish rabbi, and he said that one of the things about wisdom that you don't, you don't get in the Western world is that, yeah, it's about all of those things that, that you know. But in the Jewish mindset, wisdom is all about order. It's all about order. It's about understanding how things are ordered. It's about understanding the process of how things are meant to grow and how things are meant to operate. It's, wisdom is really about getting a user manual in that kind of a way. And because the Jews knew that God was the creator of heavens and earth, he knew, they knew that the only manual that was available to them was God's order. So wisdom is actually simply understanding God's order. And so when it says the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, it doesn't sound so crazy. The beginning of understanding God's order is coming to God. It's saying, God, I want to understand how this is supposed to work. It's like, oh, wow, I can do that. In fact, it goes on to say that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. I used to think that, so if I'm more scared of God, I become more wise. No, it's about saying, God, I understand that you created the heavens and the earth, that you are above all of this stuff, that you're above like, like how all of this stuff works. And so when I say, God, you are my Lord, you're above this. There's this fear that, God, you're above. Then I can begin to see that, oh, you have ordered how certain things work. And the more I live out how you have designed me, to work, the more I am protected, the more I am blessed, the more I have honor, the more I'm walking in the blessings, the promises of God. That is something that is so important for us to realize, that if we want to be wise about our finances, if we want to be wise about our relationships, if we want to be wise with our lives, with our time, with our pursuits, it's not about saying, what do I feel and what do I want? It's about saying, there's a design that I come under. And if I live out that design, that's going to help me to achieve everything that God has placed on my heart. And that is what this is all about. Now, Jesus spoke about this whole lifestyle thing in this way. In Luke 5, 36 to 39, he said, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one, otherwise they will have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. What Jesus was trying to say is that there's that old life. But God has got something new that is coming. And we can't contain the new if we, contain, if we still hold on to the old. The wineskins represent our lifestyles. We can have an old wineskin, which is the old way of living, is the old way of doing things. But the old way of living cannot contain the new life that God has got for us. It cannot. When the new wine is poured into old wineskins, there is a conflict that is taking place. Now, some of us take that conflict to think that that is, oh, oh no, no, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm getting God's word wrong because there's conflict going on. So maybe, maybe that new stuff is not the right thing to go for. It even, Jesus even said that. 
He said, no one who tastes the, the new wine, uh, what do you say, sorry. And no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Why did why say that detail? It's because human beings don't like change. We really don't. We, we get comfortable in our old wineskins, and we get comfortable complaining that the new wine hasn't come, but we say the old is better. Oh, crabby Christians. What is wrong with us? We, we, we want a blessing of God, but I say, I want a blessing of God, but I don't want to change. I want God to bless my work life, but I'm not going to change how I see my work. I'm not going to change what I'm doing about my work. I want to bless relationships, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to, I want blessed finances, but I want to do it my way. And if I had to change, then the old wine is better. The old wine, I want the old wine back. It's like, well, fine, you get the old wine then. You just live in your slavery and in that anxiety and that it's crazy that we come to God you're here because there's something in you that said God is real there's something you that said there must be something more to life than my nine to five going to work going to study and that's there's something more and then we come to God we see salvation we get so happy we're like yeah I'm free and then God says well now there's a new wine skin because there's new wine coming it's like really that doesn't sound like freedom to me your bursting wineskins are showing you that there's something broken about the old wineskins. There is something new that is coming. Now, a little bit later, I'm hoping that all of these come together so that you can understand it. A little bit later, James writes this in James 1, 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Just pause there. God's wisdom is not some secret source. It's not something that you need to go to some high up mountain monastery and be on your knees for 20 days and 20 nights without food and without water before an epiphany comes. And, oh, wisdom of God. The Bible says so clearly, God gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault. You can have been in the most disastrous, sinful lifestyle that you've ever been in, and you can come to God and say, I want your wisdom. And God's not going to shy away from giving it to you. You, 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 can't, you can't escape from the fact that God loves you so much that He's willing to show you all the user manuals that you ever need. But here's the catch. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. I've heard the second half of this passage being used to tell us that when I pray for, for God's provision, I shouldn't doubt. Because if I doubt, then I'm an unstable person, flopping here, flopping there. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to doubt. I'm just going to tell myself, I believe, I believe, I believe. No, 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 no. That's not what this is about. This is about when you are asking for wisdom. When you ask for wisdom, do not doubt. When you ask for wisdom, do not doubt. I thought about that, and I thought it was really strange. Why is it specifically about asking for wisdom that doubt is a factor in it? And I looked into it, and the word for doubt that James used is actually to make a distinction and to prefer. 
is to make a distinction and to prefer. So when we understand that God's wisdom isn't just this beautiful knowledge, it's actually a, a deeper understanding of the order that he's created us to live by. He gives that to us. What does doubting look like? Doubting looks like discriminating, making a decision between, and it's saying, well, that is God's order, new wineskin, and this is the old wineskin. And doubting looks like saying, I like this. I want to keep this. So God is willing to show us how we can get new wine. God is generous in saying there is a life beyond your imagination. I've already set that up. I've already got that all going. And in fact, I'm going to show you how to get there. But then we start to discriminate between us. But that means that I don't get, I don't get my time to do what I want. But that means that I have to give a tenth of my income to God. I don't like that. I think I prefer to do this. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to do this. The Bible says that a person who comes to God and says, I want to know your order because I know there's something greater for my life. And then we receive it and then we say, no, I don't want that. You are like a wave tossed by like the wind. You're unstable. Christian, it doesn't mean that because you have got Jesus as your salvation, it means that you can be stable no matter what. That's a choice that you have to make. That's the decision that you have to journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai to receiving the Word of God and to living it out. There is no other way to achieve uh, uh, that place, that stability in God's blessing. That is something that is so, so important. It's gotten really quiet. And maybe it's because all of us realize that that is not easy. All of us think that God's grace means that I get to do what I want. That's not God's grace. You're talking about permission. You're talking about God being some kind of genie. Beck and I are going to be watching Aladdin tonight. I'm so keen to see that genie. <laughs> I heard he's amazing. Yeah, he's good. But God isn't that genie. As good as that genie is, he's only going to give you three wishes. Well, my God's able to give exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond the promises of God, a yes and amen. And so let me tell you that all wineskin ain't good enough. And so when there's a challenge that comes into your life, it's not because God is removing his grace, he's showing you your next step. Some of us think that, oh, God's left me alone and he's abandoned me and he doesn't love me. No, you have just lost sight of where blessing is. You have just lost sight of the fact that growing is sometimes a little bit painful, that sometimes the old wineskin needs to be left behind in order to take on it new. What is God challenging you in this morning? In this moment, if there's an openness in you, I believe that God's going to begin to highlight that some things in your life that is not in a position to receive new wine. There's some of you that have got a higher way of living that you are not able to receive because you're still holding on to your wineskin. 
Now, like we're doing a finance series, and so I do want to point this out to you. Our finances are super important. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, which is like the tithe. It's saying the best of the crops, the first of the crops goes to God, the first tenth. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. And check this out. And your vats will brim over with, with new wine. With new wine. The new wine doesn't come until you honor God with your first fruit. Why? Because there's something about our finances that represents so much of our lives. This is probably one of the greatest challenges as a pastor to help people to see that God loves you, so give Him first. Because it sounds a little bit whack, because it sounds like, no, this is not how life works. Well, because it's new wineskin. I can't talk to you about a tithe until you understand what the old wineskin looks like. The old wineskin as a slave looks like every single cent I earned and I'm going to hoard. Do you know that one of the things about the Israelites that, that demonstrates their slave mentality was when God was giving them food in the wilderness. There was this amazing bread called, called manna. Manna from heaven. So much so that all these Christian bakeries are all called manna because it's like, well, we are the best food from heaven. And, and they call themselves manna. And, and, and manna is this wonderful bread from heaven. And, and the Israelites will open their tent in the morning and there would be this bread caked all over the floor. They would break the bread, put it into containers for the rest of the day. God said, I will do this every day. And then on the sixth day, I will give you two days portion so that on the Sabbath, you don't have to collect any more. This was said, God, God was like, I've, I've got this covered, guys. So what did the Israelites do? What did these slaves do? They went out. They saw so much bread. They were like, this is the best day ever. They collected all the bread more than they needed. And they put it into their jars and go, I've, I've got all that I need for the next few days. Slave mindset. A slave always hoards because they don't know where the next meal is going to come from. A slave always holds on to more because they don't know when their next feed is going to be. They don't know when this oppression is going to come on them. They don't know what's going to be like, so I'm going to look after myself. And God was trying to break the slave mindset over them. But so many of us Christians, we still got that slave mindset. God says, give their tithes. It's like, no. If God's gracious, you wouldn't ask that from me. God's gracious, and that's why He's asking it from you. Because money is not meant to be your God. He's meant to be your God. Money is not meant to conquer you. Money is not meant to hold you back. He's the one that is our provider and our God. And, and Jesus Himself talks about the tithe. I'll probably blog about it so because we don't have time to talk more about it. But this is what I want you to understand. That God institutes these things not to hold us back, but to set us up. The principles found in God's Word is never to hold us back, is always to set us up. But in the moment, the old wine and the old wineskins always looks more attractive because we are comfortable with it. And the new things that God is trying to do in our lives always looks a little bit alien. Why? Because we would never have thought about it ourselves. Trust God? What? Really? Can He be trusted? Well, you came to Him for salvation and now you're like, oh, will He look after my tomorrow? We are the ones that are a little bit whack. We're the ones with these old wineskins that are cracking and leaking out all of this life that God has got for us, and we're still holding on to it. Can we get the band up this morning? My challenge for you this morning is to check yourself. Are you trying to live out of Egypt? 
where salvation is this beautiful thing that has set you free. But are you just stopped there? Or have you started to journey towards Mount Sinai? There's one more thing about this whole finance thing that I forgot to mention. But I told you already the Jews celebrate the Passover even to this day. Well, this 50 days later, there was another festival that God instituted in the Bible to commemorate this special moment of stepping out of slavery and being on the journey towards the promises of God. Guess what that festival was? It wasn't the festival of the reading of the Bible. It was called the Festival of First Fruits. It's a festival of first fruits. And why? Because our finances mean so much to us. Our livelihood, what we gather, what we accumulate means so much to us. And so God was trying to show them that the setting up of their lives comes back down to whether they're willing to be generous with God or not. Whether they're willing to see God as Lord of their finances. So every year, and these were agricultural people, and so there were seasons, and there were all that kind of stuff. And so every year when the first fruits came up, their first thought was, it's going to be festival time. It's going to be celebration time. We are going to be able to give our first to God. It was an actioning out of the Word of God in their lives in a practical form, which for them happened to be the finances. For us, it should be finances. But that's just the practicality of what God is trying to do to us. We remember salvation, but how many of us remember that our commitment to the promised land? Some of you are still living in the desert. Some of you have got mediocre lives. Being honest right now, some of you have lives that you don't even like. Some of you have lives that you're like, what's the point of all of this? I'm just trying to get through each and every day. That's because you're still in the wilderness. I'm not trying to say that with God's law, everything works out perfectly. But what I'm trying to say is that God is setting you up. God is setting you up. He hasn't let you go. He hasn't put you aside. But there's something about not living according to the wisdom of God that is not going to allow the new wine to flow. And there are some people in this room that need to make a fresh and a new commitment to saying, God, I want your new wine. I want your new life. The wine always represents uh, uh, this, 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 this flow of God, this, 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 this power of God, this life of God. There's something about the wine. That's why we use, we supposedly we use the wine in communion because it represents God's blood that was shed for us in order that we can have this new life, this new life. There is new life that's available for each and every person. But are you holding on to your old wineskins? Or are you saying, God, I'm ready to change? The changing of the wineskins is a changing of the lifestyle. It's a changing of mindsets. It's a changing of perspectives. The Bible teaches us to renew our minds that by testing we will know what is God's perfect and pleasing will. How do we know what God's perfect and pleasing will is? It's wisdom. It's His wisdom. And it happens when we stop thinking that we know everything. When we stop thinking that I know how this relationship is meant to be and I, I know how I'm supposed to, if, if I do this and then I do this and then I do this, God truly will bless me. And that's the old wineskin. That's never going to work. The new wineskin says, God, what's next? 
The new wineskin says, God, I am here. I'm willing to live according to your principles and your precepts. And when I do, I know that no matter what happens, you're still working good for me. That's what this looks like. So this morning, the first step that I want to put out for you is this. Some of you are still fighting in slavery. Some of you are still in Egypt and you feel oppressed. You feel like you, you don't know whether you're going to make it. You don't know whether there's a God who is willing to, to save you. Well, there is a God who's willing to save you. It's Jesus. He's demonstrated His love for you by dying on the cross for your sin. So right now, I want to lead you into a prayer. I want to lead you into a, a, a prayer of welcoming God into your life. So if I can get every person just to just close your eyes, bow your heads in this moment. Let's say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I want to be free. I, I, I want you to set me free. Be my Lord and my Savior. I invite you into my life. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.